exploring faith journeys and inspiring ministries that embody the good news of God. This is The Cumberland Road. I'm your host, T.J. Milanowski. On this episode, the Reverend Dr. George Estes joins me. In our conversation, George shares what it is like to be a lifelong Cumberland Presbyterian. He talks about his faith and reflects upon how difficult it would be to have a basis for morality, ethics, and compassion apart from the gospel. George has ministered in Tennessee, Indiana, Arkansas, and Texas. He served the denomination's missions agency for 20 years as the Director of Evangelism and New Church Development and as the missions ministry team leader before his retirement. He is a regular writer for the adult curriculum The Encounter, and he's a contributor to the daily devotional These Days. Enjoy today's episode of The Cumberland Road, Reverend Dr. George Estes. So, George, um, let's begin with a meaningful experience with God. And this can be something that has been very recent, or it can be something that has occurred in the past, but a meaningful experience that you have had with God. Well, I would go, I, would, I guess I would go back to last Sunday. Uh, I was uh, preaching in uh, Holly Springs, Mississippi. And uh, the message that I had prepared for the day uh, was one that I was not very confident of. I have decided during the summer months to concentrate a little bit on lesser-known portions of Scripture. And so I've been preaching from the 12 minor prophets. I preached on Haggai and Habakkuk. And this past Sunday was Obadiah. And uh, the, the previous two messages did not go well from my standpoint. <laughs> uh, and so I was a little apprehensive about this one. And I told folks a story, and I'll tell it here, that uh, when I was teaching a class a few years ago, I asked the students what their favorite Bible book was. And people said John or Matthew, or some people referred to the letters of Paul. But one young fellow said, Obadiah. I said, Obadiah, really? <laughs> and I uh, wanted to know exactly why he had selected Obadiah. Well, the reason was his middle name was Obadiah. I said, that's as good a reason as any. Well, from that point on in my message, I felt sort of relieved, sort of... Uh, convicted, if you will, about sharing the message of Obadiah, which is not a very uh, edifying message in some ways. It's judgmental and so forth. But uh, there are some glimmers of gospel hope in that Old Testament book, and I think that uh, one evidence of, of God's work in my life was to, to uh, make something positive happen in a setting like this. Uh, when I was not confident of it at all. So that's one. And then uh, a number of years ago, I was uh, 
on a day hike in the mountains of New Mexico just by myself and uh, it's a beautiful day aspens were glimmering on the mountains I found a mountain stream I followed along for quite a little while I began to get hungry about noon and I'd packed a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for my lunch and I walked along the stream and I found a large boulder, large rock by the side of the stream. And if that didn't look like an altar, I'm not sitting here. And I thought, you know, this would be a nice place to pause and have my lunch. And I approached the rock and sat down on it and it just felt increasingly like communion to me. And uh, as I was sitting there and eating my peanut butter and jelly and drinking from a bottle of water, I had the Lord's Supper. Mm. And I just felt so close to the Lord at that point. There have been plenty of times when I felt far away from God. So when that happened, it was a, it was really a blessing. And then. Uh, going through several periods of bereavement in my life. Uh, going through one now, as a matter of fact. And often in grief, one feels uh, alone or estranged, not so close to God. And I've visited with many other people about this. And for for some of us, the experience of loss brings us closer to God. And we sense God's presence uh, in a different way. That's been true for me. Uh, not that I have uh, always such a, a, a close walk with the Lord, not at all. But there are times when I have felt... Uh, uh, an abiding presence. What does that feel like for you, that abiding presence of God? Okay, I guess it's a kind of assurance. Not that everything is going to be okay. I think that's kind of glib, but just an assurance, a, a sense of peace or well-being or serenity, uh, a sense of... Uh, kind of groundedness hmm. yeah. you know I, I guess we should have I should have said this uh, at the beginning of our recording is this is the first time the Cumberland Road has actually been on the road <laughs> all recordings previous to, to this one all the guests have been through technology this is the first time been able to have a face-to-face -face conversation uh, in person with with someone on their faith journey for Cumberland Road. So thank you for braving to be in the same room with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was scary, but I decided to take it on. <laughs> and George, uh, if we were to meet as strangers, and, and there would be some folks who may listen to this podcast, could you take a couple minutes, a few minutes, and... and uh, Tell everybody who you are and where you're from and 
and just sort of brief introduction of Reverend Dr. George Estes. Well, I'm a lifelong Cumberland Presbyterian. By that I mean uh, from the cradle to the present. I'm a Cumberland Presbyterian. I was born into a pastor's home in East Tennessee at the very end, or close to the end of World War II. And uh, I was a child of the manse, literally. And one of the things that uh, those of us who are preacher's kids become aware of is that we have more than two parents. I had lots of parents growing up. One, one Sunday afternoon, uh, we used to have Sunday afternoon church, Sunday evening church. And uh, we had a worship service where my dad was preaching. And in those days, uh, my sister, younger sister and I would sit on the front pew while my dad was in the pulpit, my mother was in the choir. And uh, my sister and I, and perhaps one or two other kids on the front pew, we sort of started cutting up a little bit. We were preschoolers at the time. And all of a sudden, my ear felt a terrible pain. <laughs> the person sitting behind me flipped my ear. Uh, nobody would have ever done that to any other child in the church. But I was the preacher's kid, and it was okay to correct me. I've, I've tracked that in my life since. Uh, I've seen it also in my own children, how when I was a pastor, other people in the congregation would take it upon themselves to correct my own children for something. That would not happen to any other kid in the church. But happened only in the minister's family, and honestly, I've uh, I can understand how some young people are disenchanted with the church uh, if they grow up in a minister's home. Didn't happen to me, and I'm glad it didn't. But I have known people that it did happen to. So I've been a, uh, a part of the church all my life, literally all my life. And when I decided to go to college, I wanted to go to Bethel College and went to a church-related school because I had already sort of committed to going into the ministry. Not because my dad did. In fact, my dad tried to discourage me from going into the ministry. <laughs> <laughs> he said, if you can do anything else, do it. You know, <laughs> uh, He loved the ministry, but he didn't much want me to have to go through what sometimes ministers experience. But I was committed to it. I felt committed to it and still do. I've been in the ministry over 50 years. And uh, in that length of time, I have no idea how many sermons I preached, how many churches I've actually preached in. I uh, used to do quite a number of revivals. I was fortunate to be asked to, to do that over the years. And so in addition to my pastoral work, I did some evangelistic work uh, in revivals. And so I preached, and I've done a lot of supply preaching since I retired. So I, I've had a uh, an opportunity to be in many different congregations, some for even from other denominations. But I've been a common Presbyterian all these years. So I've been the pastor for a little over 23 years before I came to work for the General Assembly Board of Missions at that time. Now it's the missions ministry team. And I came to work there at 1st of uh, January 1994. 
had been a pastor in uh, Tennessee, Indiana, Arkansas, and Texas prior to that. And so I was at the missions agency until I retired in 2014. In the last three years, I was the team leader of the missions ministry team. And uh, it's been a blessing to uh, be associated with the congregations that I've served and the denomination that I have served. And that's how you and I got to working together, because you were my supervisor. And shortly after that hire, you were like, I I can't work with this fella anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was one of the determining factors in my uh, retirement, of course, but... uh... Well, you've shared some different places where um, God has taken you in in your your life journey and in your faith journey. I, could you share for a few minutes about how your relationship with Jesus Christ has given you purpose, uh, purpose in in your vocation? You know, we've kind of talked about that for a few minutes, but also just purpose in your daily life and in those those times when. That when you were feeling at a distance with God, but also those those times of closeness as well. So, how has that relationship with Jesus Christ given you purpose? Well, it has defined my life. Certainly, defined my life work, mm-hmm. but more than that, my approach to life. As I've studied the Gospels in particular, uh, the way the Lord Jesus taught, the way He dealt with people. Uh, the example he shared has always been so challenging to me. And as I've thought about uh, passages like the Sermon on the Mount, I've recognized that if people actually took seriously what he was saying uh, in the passage like that, what a difference it would make in the world. So I've tried to try to think about uh, how my life might be shaped by what I perceived Jesus was doing and, and how he lived. And, uh, you know, I like to think that uh, he has changed me some. Uh, when I was younger, uh, especially young in the ministry, I had a tendency to be somewhat judgmental. And uh, uh, many would say hypocritical in that regard, but judgmental, <laughs> say the least, and uh, self-righteous and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and uh, that didn't serve me well. And uh, I have, I think I've learned over the years to be less that way, uh, more accepting, more tolerant, more understanding, Uh, of other people, and uh, even uh, cutting myself a little slack sometimes. But I think that's how Christ has changed me in some ways, given me a little bit broader perspective. Uh, I have reflected often on the passage where Jesus says, other sheep I have that are not of this fold. I really thought about that. And... uh, so just because people are not of my stripe, not of my fold, does not mean 
that they're not beloved by the Lord. It does not mean that they don't have uh, as much a, uh, a relationship with God as I have and so forth. In fact, uh, I have also felt that one way the church has shaped me is that so many people that I have admired and appreciated and loved uh, are Christians. And if there wasn't anything to Christianity, I don't think that'd be true. The people that I have loved and admired and respected so much are people who have been formed, shaped, made fresh, made new by the gospel of Christ. And if for no other reason, to me that's reason enough to want to be a Christian myself. And uh, I've, I've followed in the footsteps of some wonderful mentors and teachers, some of them in my own family, but beyond that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the people that have had such a big impact on my life, like Hubert Morrow and Dr. John Ed Gardner and uh, Dr. Virgil Todd and so many others that just absolutely uh, inspired me to want to be not only uh, the best minister I could be, but the best person I could be, uh, and to follow in, in, in their footsteps and to learn from them. Morris Pepper, uh, Joe Matlock, people that uh, I'm sure your listeners will know some of these folks or at least know these names from the past. They really uh, impacted my life. And there have been lots of women, Beverly St. John, for example, and others that are just, uh, Cornelia Swain, just have been such an inspiration to me. It, it's great to be able to draw from that well of people, past and present, to help give us guidance, you know, and recall, you know, advice and wisdom that was shared, and but also being able to, to pull from them currently as well. Um, I think the world would be a better place if we shared some of our our warmness towards one another and our thoughts of fondness towards one another and inspiration um, while we're together, while we're around instead of waiting until uh, funerals and uh, graveside services and we wait until I, I think the world would be transformed if we shared our thoughts with each other and what we mean to one another while they're still here, while we're together. Well, you've mentioned some great people, some great names and well-known names in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church that have influenced your, your faith journey and as have enriched the journey along the way. Was there anyone else that you wanted to add to the list? Well, there are just so many. Uh, I've just uh, had wonderful relationships with uh, lay persons, great leaders in the churches where I have served the McSpaddens in Rose City, uh, the Martins in Lubbock, Texas, on and on. As people just had such a uh, vibrant day-by-day -day walk with Christ and who, uh, without ever being ostentatious about it, uh, 
let me know what being a, a, a dedicated Christian was mm. like. And I've had the privilege and blessing and challenge of serving in funeral services for some of these people, seen them pass away, been with them. And I'll have to say that a part of my heart left with each one, but I know where they are. And that's, to me, such a great consolation, great blessing. And they have helped uh, encourage me when it was uh, oftentimes the road was difficult. Mm. George, we've talked about how people have had a great impact on your life and, and your growing up years and in your ministry. What would you share with somebody who hasn't been as fortunate as as you in terms of people who have helped shaped your faith and your understanding of God and your relationship? What is it about the Christian faith that you would want others to, to know about? Why, why do I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ? I've thought about that quite a bit because, as I mentioned, my whole frame of reference has been church life. But what if I had not been in that situation? How would I have come to faith or would I? I think I would have, actually, uh, because uh, the uh, influence of some of the people that have, that, have, uh, that have crossed paths with beyond the church life mm. uh, would have helped me to see that. And also, I think uh, uh, my love for Scripture would have come through no matter what. Uh, but I can certainly relate to people who say, you know, that's not been my experience. And, uh, you know, I don't know what you're talking about when you talk about uh, uh, church. Uh, let's talk about it from the standpoint of just everyday life. I can understand how someone feels about that. But for me, it's difficult to find a basis for morality, for ethics, uh, for compassion apart from the gospel. And that's the way I think I would want to approach it. So many people that I've known who are not particularly religious but are very dedicated to humanitarian service or, or uh, have a particular cause that they're fighting for and justice and so forth, uh, I, can, I can usually make a connection there uh, because that is so uh, much a part of what the gospel is about. And and most most people that are not religious, don't see that connection. And so it's helpful once in a while for us to draw that connection in their behalf. So I've, I've thought about it that way. Um, they, the other thing is that, that for me, the, the Christian life is not easy. It's, it's, uh, it doesn't have the kind of glamour or uh, the kind of appeal that some other ways of life might have. 
it's a it's a call to service. It's a call to sacrifice, to uh, deny oneself, and so forth. Those are those are not particularly popular notions in twenty twenty one. Most people are me first, and I'll I'll you know get what I can when I can. So uh, there's things about the gospel that are not all that appealing to the modern mind, and so. Uh, it's it's a little bit of a challenge to be a Christian representative or an agent of Christ in these times and to be able to bridge the distance between what we think of as being so important and what the secular person thinks of as a priority. Mm -hmm. And we can be great examples of expressing the life of Christ through through our, our hands and our feet and our voices. I've always felt, especially here in the in this century, as Cumberland Presbyterians, we do pretty good with our hands and our feet, but our voices need to be shared more in terms of what the love of Christ uh, means to the world. I think articulating our faith is always a challenge for us, uh, especially as I mentioned earlier in the conversation, uh, the tendency to become a little bit judgmental in that process. <laughs> and uh, we have to very, very much guard against that. Right. Uh, but if evangelism is not verbalized in some way, People just think you're a good person, and that's not a good idea because the the whole idea is to give God glory versus you know, for us to be thought of as a, a nice person or something like that. It's a whole different thing. Um, but the verbalization, vocalization, putting it into words, that's a real challenge for most of us. It is. One of the questions that I like to ask each guest is, where do you see God working in the world today? And that question in and of itself is can lead to a form of evangelism because we are articulating where we see and feel and experience the presence of God in our lives. So, George, I posed a question to you. Where do you see God working in the world today? I think I see God at work in, in so many different places, but, uh, you know, the efforts and appeals for justice around the world today uh, in particular. But, you know, when I was with missions, some things happened uh, that just drew this out for me. For example, there was a terrible tsunami in Japan uh, during my time with missions, and I saw an outpouring from Cumberland Presbyterians. It just amazed me uh, how people tried to respond to that concern and that need. Then there were earthquakes. I've been involved with the uh, uh, response teams in Colombia, Haiti, uh, seen uh, mission work teams in uh, places have been devastated by tornadoes and floods. And ordinary Cumberland Presbyterian folks taking their time, usually vacation time, uh, taking their own resources uh, 
paying their own way to help out in time of need. And to me, this is way, the way uh, we as, as Christians and as Cumberland Presbyterians in particular can act out that hands and feet, as you were saying, but also just our presence is, is a way of, of communicating. I had an experience one time when I was in Colombia. Uh, we were working after the earthquake in Armenia and uh, one of the people who lived on the street where we were working to try to rebuild a home stopped t to ask, well, what are you folks doing this for? Why are you here? And it got me thinking, why are we here? We're here to help build this house back, of course, but that's, that's only part of why we're here. We're here to express concern, solidarity, to express love and care for this one little family here who lost their home and for others that are just like them. And we're here to somehow show God's love in a situation that is almost desperate for love. And uh, I have known people like Eugene Leslie and John Lovelace and Sam Sutterth and uh, Ollie McClung and on and on, people who have devoted their lives literally to helping other people in cases of great crisis and difficulty try to rebuild their lives. Oh, what, an what a testimony that is to me. And uh, all I was was basically a little observer, <laughs> but uh, I, saw, I saw them at work mm -hmm. and it was a, an inspiration. Mm -hmm. You have been part of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church all your life, you said, from the cradle, and you have served the church as a person who has received and has given so much to the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. What ideas, what hopes do you have for this denomination presently and in the future? Well, I I do have some hopes for the church. I w I'm hoping for reunification for one thing. Uh, it's been a source of great concern and humiliation, actually, that we have two denominations when we should have one. Uh, and in fact, I, I have a kind of an ecumenical spirit about me anyway that uh, would like to see greater cooperation within our our denomination and other other sister denominations I'm not talking necessarily about organic union of any kind i don't care about that but i am interested in working together with other christians in unified witness one of the things i guess i would have as a as a, as a way of talking about uh, what i see for the church is that the church would be the church in mission, that it would actually try to live up to the calling that it has. And in, in some ways, I guess this is my judgmental part coming out again, uh, in some ways I kind of see the current situation in our church, it's almost like the church at Ephesus uh, in the book of Revelation, you've lost your first love. I think there is some of that in us. I'm afraid there is, that uh, that zeal for the gospel, that uh, 
excitement for being God's person in the world, that uh, commitment to being a church uh, dedicated to the service of the Lord and the service of the community. I think some of that kind of gets rusty. And uh, in the time of the pandemic, I saw us uh, responding in some new ways for technology, which is it's a great, great blessing. And I think that uh, we'll, we'll increasingly make use of the tools that God, I believe, has provided for us under these circumstances. But we do it kicking and screaming all the way. We are not necessarily thrilled about it, and we, we see all kinds of difficulties associated with it. And uh, and and some of some of that is just uh, on in the category of what else is new. Life is hard; you just might as well face it. And I think we use our 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 gospel experience, our experience with the Lord, as a way of of navigating the various uh, pathways that we find ourselves having to go in. So I I would say I would hope the church can renew its commitment to its mission in the world and uh, and stop being uh, so interested in pointing out one another's faults. We would really have to cast our eyes in a different direction, George, if we followed your hope and ideas for the church. I think that's right. Uh, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, look up, see the harvest is ripe. In other words, we have to get our minds off of ourselves, get our eyes off of our own internal experience, and look out there. We can do it. We're very much capable. I think so. We have done it. Yeah. We can do it. We're, we're a strong family as Presbyterians, and specifically as Cumberland Presbyterians. I share your hope, and... I'm open to ideas to get us to look up. George, how can we continue to follow you on your faith journey? Well, since most of my journey is right here in my house, it's not that difficult. <laughs> uh, you can uh, contact me by email or by mail or by telephone. All my contact information is in the General Assembly yearbook. Uh and uh, once in a while, I have the opportunity to write for the Encounter Sunday School lessons or for these days' devotional guide. Um, once in a while, I teach at PAWS. I'm going to be teaching at PAWS this next month. And uh, I still do a, a regular preaching responsibility every Sunday. And uh, you can find that at... Uh, I'm, I'm uh, serving a congregation that's without a pastor, and it's a Presbyterian church in Holly Springs, Mississippi. It's about 40 miles from where I live. And so it's on Facebook Live if you have an interest in that. Um, other than that, I'm not sure anybody would want to follow what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, I don't think I have mentioned that uh, a part of my uh, challenge in retirement has been uh, to reorient my uh, my approach to life because I am serving as a caregiver for my wife Janie, who is a stroke 
uh, uh, patient. And uh, for the last four and a half years, I've tried to learn how to cook, and I don't know how to cook still. I've tried to learn how to take care of the house, and I'm sure a terrible housekeeper, uh, and on and on. Uh, so anybody that wants to follow my journey is welcome to come by. We live in Germantown, Tennessee. We're welcome to see you anytime. <laughs> and you may put your guests to work, as in preparing a meal, helping clean up, exactly. maybe work in the I'm yard. I'm glad for you to do that, all of the above. <laughs> George, thank you for, for being a guest today. Thank you for being a friend. And thank you for being a mentor to me. And I've really been looking forward to being able to to share this, uh, this time for the podcast with you. I appreciate it. Thank you, TJ, for the invitation to do this. And it's been a blessing. I'm glad you're doing the podcast. And I know it's, it's uh, been meaningful to lots of folks. We appreciate it. George, thank you. And... Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Grab a friend and travel with us on our next journey down Cumberland Road.